we started. It's called He Said What? Uh, and if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. It's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 10 uh, in the New Testament. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been focusing on some of the more difficult teachings of Jesus, some of the things that we might not necessarily talk about uh, very often in church uh, we've, we've examined some things that Jesus said that are, are hard to understand, uh, some things that we may not like, uh, some things that we may want to, you know, push against and maybe have a tendency to disagree with. Uh, some of these things that Jesus said show us the real Jesus that sometimes doesn't line up with the way that we might, may have thought about Jesus before. I think a lot of times people just think of Jesus as this, you know, big, warm, uh, fuzzy, spiritual snuggie. You know uh, what I'm talking about? And, and, and that's how they want to picture Jesus and think about Jesus. But, but, but here's the deal. We, we don't get to edit out the parts of Jesus that we don't like. Right, we have to take the stuff that that challenges us and maybe pushes, uh, you know, against some uh, ways of our thinking. You know, we we it's not a buffet where we get to pick and choose, right? And we just take the good that we like and leave, you know, the the turnips behind, you know. And so it, it's uh, I I read not long ago that somewhere Thomas I think it's Thomas Jefferson had a Bible. It's on display in a museum somewhere where he actually had gone through his Bible and he had torn out everything in it that he didn't like, right? And, and even though you may physically be able to do that in your Bible, uh, you can't remo remove the truths of God's Word, all right? And, and so we can't just pick and choose what we want and what we don't want and, and, and go with that. And so uh, this morning near something that Jesus uh, says that we don't talk about much in church, um, matter of fact, I keep a record of, of everything that I've preached in the, in the last 21 years that I've been in ministry. Uh, I have a, a record of, of everything that I've ever preached and that I've never in 21 years preached from this passage of Scripture. And here's why. It makes me uncomfortable and it's going to make you uncomfortable, but it's part of God's Word. Jesus spoke it, and so we're going to look at it today, uncomfortable or not. And we're going to begin at verse 17, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 17. Uh, God's word says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So first, I want to stop right there real quick, because often the question is when, when uh, we look at this, uh, I, the first question may be, well, who are the 72? You know, what are these 72 that he's talking about? Well, they were like the outer ring of disciples. There were these 12 original disciples that we're all familiar with, but there was also a, a kind of an outer ring of disciples that worked along with them. There were 60 of them, actually, who were being sent out with the original disciples to preach and teach and, and share about Jesus, okay? So that's who the 72 are. They're coming back. They've been sent out to preach. They're coming back now. They're all excited. They're giving a report about what they've experienced, you know, What's, what's been happening as, as they've gone out. Uh, and then verse 18, Jesus says this. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
So, so why is what Jesus is saying difficult here? You know, why, why do some people maybe have a problem with what he's talking about? Well, I think the first question that pops in my head out of what Jesus is saying here is this. What does it mean that we have the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions? Okay, is this where the church gets really weird? You know, maybe. You know, so if the ushers would come back, they have some uh, poisonous snakes and buckets today, and we're going to test your faith just to see if you believe in what Jesus is actually talking about here. That's just sick and wrong. If there's a snake in the building, I'm not in it, okay? And those videos that some of you keep sending me on Facebook of these churches that are, have rattlesnakes and all that, that is wrong. That is just sick and wrong. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I'm as scared of a snake as I am a hungry grizzly bear. And, and I'm, uh, you know, even, even if you know that Jesus didn't really mean that here, you know, you might go on to say, well, what is it that he's actually saying? Is he, is he speaking to us here about the fact that Satan is actually real, like he's, you know, a devil with a, a tail and horns and, and a pitchfork? And, and maybe you've kind of got caught up in this, uh, you know, idea and thinking about demons before. Maybe you know someone who is possessed, not possessed, obsessed. Uh, you may know someone possessed, too. We're going to talk about them in a, in a little bit. But... Uh, um, you know, maybe they were just obsessed with demonic things. They think anytime that something is not going right or, or you know, something uh, is, is bad happening that, that, you know, they think it's demons at work in that, you know. Uh, uh, the first car that Lynette had when she and I got married, uh, I would have sworn was possessed by a demon. Right? I mean, every time that I got in her car, uh, it would not start. She, she could drive it all day long. She never had any trouble whatsoever. But it, when I would get in the driver's seat of her car, the uh, car, and Lynette backed me up on this, that car would never start when I tried. Matter of fact, we had to walk to breakfast the de morning after we got married because we took that, that car. <laughs> uh, you see, I'm, I'm 30 years later, I'm still a little worked up about it. Uh, but we had to walk to breakfast because the car wouldn't start, you know. But come to find out, you know what? It wasn't a demon at all. It just had a bad fuel pump. And so uh, uh, I did what I do. I traded it and uh, never drove that sucker again. But, but anyway, I, I, think it's, I think it's fairly obvious here that Jesus definitely believed that Satan and demons were real, Okay. Uh, in fact, Jesus tends to spend his whole ministry engaging uh, with the devil and, and demonic forces while he was here on this earth. As a matter of fact, Satan is mentioned over 250 times throughout the New Testament, which, which means this, that he's mentioned in almost every single chapter uh, of the New Testament. And here Jesus is giving them very clear instructions about how to engage uh, with the demonic realm uh, in the world that, that we live in. And so if you're going to accept Jesus and everything about Jesus, then we have to take this seriously uh, as well. So who is Satan and what does he do? Who is Satan and what does he do? Well, you know, this passage gives us a, a glimpse, gives us a clue as to where he came from. You know, when Jesus makes the statement that I, I saw him fall out of heaven, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Because the, the truth of the matter is, and some of you have studied this and know this, but Satan actually at one time was an angel in heaven. He, he, was, he was, you know, one of the highest archangels and he rebelled against God. 
and he was cast out of, out of heaven and as a result took one-third of the angels with him. Uh, when this took place, the book of Revelation tells us. Now, uh, you know, Scripture never gives us a, a real detailed account of that event, but scholars have pieced, you know, the different parts of the Bible together that address this, and, and so we know that. But Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, in, in chapter 14, verse 12, the, the prophet gives us kind of a glimpse of what happened uh, in that, the passage is actually about a human king who had rebelled against God, but the prophet sees through this rebellion of this king to, you know, for, he, he sees through it for who the actual enemy is and who's behind what's taking place here, and it's Satan. Now, I want you to listen to what the prophet says. He's, the prophet says, how you have fallen from heaven. You have been cast down to earth. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will make myself like the most high. So what jumps out to you here in these verses? I will, right? It's used actually in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah here. It's used five times in this passage of Scripture as, as Satan is described. Listen, that's the heart of Satan and his rebellion, and we need to understand that and get that. It's I will instead of God's will, all right? That, that's, that's Satan at work right there. It's I will instead of God's will. It's my will be done instead of God's will being done. And ever since these fallen angels came back to earth and began their work, he's been trying to coerce anybody, anything, and everything to join them in this rebellion of, I know what's best for me. I will, not God's will, right? And so many in this world have joined Satan and his rebellion. Uh, you know, proclaiming that I will instead of God's will. And Jesus says, you know, Satan has come. Here's Satan's purpose. He has come so to steal, kill, and destroy. All right, is what he says. Now, I told you that Satan is mentioned over 250 times in the New Testament. Let me show you what he's doing. I'm not going to all 250 uh, uh, points that, that he makes here uh, about him, but I want you to just listen to a few of the things that the New Testament says about Satan and who he is and what he does, right? Just to give you a little glimpse, Jesus in John 8, 44 calls Satan the father of lies. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says that he corrupts truth and he concocts false doctrines. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15 says that he gives false teachers the ability to imitate signs and wonders. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 tells us that he tempts the saints. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us he turns unresolved anger into bitterness in the hearts of God's people. Listen, that is the work of the enemy. Bitterness in your heart is a work of Satan uh, in our lives. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of the brethren, which means this. He loves to remind you when you mess up of what you have done, right? He loves to be that little voice uh, in your head. Those times when you re feel really defeated in your life about sin or about your past, that is Satan. All right? He is the accuser of the brethren. Romans 16, uh, verse 17 through 20 says that he sows discord 
and division among who? Among God's people. And he tries to get them to rebel against their spiritual leaders. Listen, it is the work of Satan to get people to turn against the spiritual leaders that God is using in this world. Uh, when I, I shared with my grandmother, when I was uh, uh, finally surrendered to the call of ministry, and I shared with my grandmother that I was going into the ministry, she cried. She cried and she said, uh, the reason she cried, she said, is because people are more hateful and more cruel to pastors than anyone else she knew. She had a long history uh, of being in churches uh, all of her life and had uncles and relatives in my family that were pastors. She had seen it firsthand how cruel and how hateful people can be to a pastor and a man of God. And she cried when she heard that I was going to have to experience that. Let me tell you something, folks. That is not God at work. That that's Satan at work. That is Satan at work trying to do his damage and do his destruction. 1 John 3.10 calls Satan the father of hatred and murder at work in the rulers of the world. 1 Timothy 3.6, Paul says that he'll puff up Christian leaders with pride so that they will fall and they will fall hard. 1 Thessalonians 3.5 says that he attacks faith anywhere that he finds it. Ephesians says that he ensnares unbelievers in their sin so that they will get so addicted to sin that they won't ever want to give it up, right? That's what he does. Throughout the New Testament, we see him causing sickness. We see him causing insanity. Uh, in Matthew 12, it was a demon that makes a man go blind and mute, right? In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks to this physical affliction that he has. He calls it the thorn in his flesh. And he says in verse 9 there of chapter 12 that it was a messenger of Satan that had afflicted him with it right? Is Satan real? Is Satan active? Well, if Jesus knew what he was talking about and we believe Jesus, then the answer has to be yes. Think about it. Can you not look at this world and see a higher power, something more than just flesh and blood and humans at work in this world? I mean, we can look all around us and see it today. We can look at history uh, and see. We look at current events and think, how could, how could we get so far off track? How could people be so evil? How can people be so vile and, and corrupt? How do things like the Rwandan genocide happen? How do you get to the levels of cruelty and, and, and that, you know, the things that we saw in the Holocaust, in Syria, in the Sudan, in the Taliban, in ISIS, all these works? How did slavery happen in our very own country? A country that was founded in the, the, the truth and the, the law of God. How, how does child pornography and the sex slave trade, how do these things continue to happen? You know, I read just uh, this past week that the largest hub of the sex slave trade is in Atlanta, Georgia, right? How, how does this happen? How do these things continue in our world today? Can you see the power of Satan at work? I mean, it's pretty evident. It, it's pretty obvious. Can't you see that there is something greater at, at work in our world today than just human dysfunction and bad parenting? I, I mean, there is, and, and I want to read you a quote from Tony uh, Campolo. Some are familiar with him. He's a great preacher I love to listen to and, and read some. He, he said this. He said, Satan is the one that's appearing in movies, telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasure are the keys to fulfillment. 
He's the one behind an economic system that teaches us that money is the key to success and happiness. He works in and through governments that coddle people into thinking that government help is the answer that they've been looking for. He's the one who sits in the psychologist chair offering ultimate hope in life apart from God. He's the one standing as a professor touting that science and education have all the answers. He's the one teaching from our pulpits that life is about you and that God wants to make you rich and that hell isn't for real and that the standards of the Bible are for a different time and place. So is he real? You better believe he's real. And you may be thinking, you know, well, why isn't he more, why isn't he more obvious to us? Like, kind of like, you know, back in the Bible, it seems that he was always obvious. He was always there. You could always uh, recognize him. And, and, and so why isn't, you know, why doesn't the devil and demons seem to more, be more visible uh, today than like they were back then? Well, listen, Satan does not really care if you recognize him. He only cares that he destroys you. He doesn't care that you see him. He doesn't care that you know who he is or what he looks like. He's just bent on destroying you, right? He, he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction, and you need to know that. You need to remember that. He's happy, that he, he's happy if he can destroy you, even if you don't know that it's him you're following. A lot of people are following Satan. They have no idea. They think they're following the dollar. They think they're following the, their job. They think they're following a hobby. They're following Satan right down the path of destruction, right? He don't care if you don't see him. He don't care if you don't recognize him. All he wants to do is destroy you. Think about Satan being like a hunter. Some of you hunt. Some of you can relate to this. Think of Satan being like a hunter. The hunter doesn't care if you know he's there, right? Actually, he'd prefer that you didn't know he was there. That's why they dress the way they dress and they smell the way they smell, you know? They don't, they don't want their prey to know that they're there. It gives them the advantage. You know, Satan is not going to appear at your bedside like a scary monster going, I'm going to possess you, you know, and, and, and that, that's not how he works. You know, if that's who you're looking for, then you're on the meth, you know, because he ain't coming that way. All right, but 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. Listen to what, listen to what the Bible says. Be alert and sober. All right, be alert and so of sober mind. Your enemy, he's your enemy, out to destroy you. He, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I, I think the first thing that we need to notice here, Peter states the obvious, he calls Satan a lion. That means he's a member of the cat family. the Bible. It's, it's just the Bible. It's the Bible. Just tell it. I'm just saying. But that's not the main point. That's not the main point, but it is a point that's made here. <clears throat> I just preach the word, folks. But seriously, the main point of this is he's a hunter. He, he's seeking prey. He, he's out on the hunt, right? And, and you need to know that because if you're not aware of the fact, if you're not alert to the fact that there is a hunter out there who is hunting you, you're gullible. You're gullible to his tricks. You're gullible to his traps. And he will kill and destroy you. What, what, what if Satan is at work 
in your life right now and you just haven't recognized it? What, what if he is? You know, through temptations, maybe hovering over your computer to get you to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe hovering over your cell phone, trying to get you to send a message or say something to someone that you shouldn't be saying. Maybe he's providing you with opportunities that work so easily for you to be able to cheat on your spouse. Maybe he's providing you with, with uh, uh, opportunities to cheat on a business deal that would be profitable to you. No one would ever know. It'd be easy, right? And he's providing you opportunities to be able to be a cheater when it comes to your business uh, functions and things that you do. Parents, what if he was after your kids and you just weren't paying any attention to the fact that he was after your kids? Because he is. What if he were after your kids? He's probably real excited that you have your family on autopilot. You know, he's probably real excited that you're filling your kids' lives. They're consumed with everything except God. Right? You've made other things a priority besides God, and Satan loves that because you are making them easy prey. Amen. What if he was the one trying to get you in debt? Maybe, you know making it seem like you, you just have to have that car that you really can't afford. Uh, you know, but our, our society today says if you want something, you deserve it, right? If you want something, just put it on the credit card. I mean, we can figure out that old payment deal on down the road somewhere. But right now, you deserve this. Could that be the voice of Satan speaking into your life, trying to get you into a debt that will enslave you? You know, what, what if Satan was the one doing that? Because here's the deal. Debt makes you a slave, and Satan loves slavery. What about those of you here today who are maybe just kind of checking out Christianity and uh, investigating what it's all about? What, what if it's Satan that's been putting those doubts in your head? What if it's Satan that's been making you skeptical about preachers and churches? You know, what if all of this was happening and we were completely unaware of who was behind it all? So are you encouraged yet? Aren't you glad you came to church today? People are leaving left and right. I'm sure they're going to feed the need. That's what I'm going to tell myself. But Listen, there's good news. There's always good news. All right, there's always good news. So let, let's look back, go back to verse 18. He said, I saw Satan fall. And then he says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome this power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. <laughs> this is an incredible promise. This is huge. I have given you the authority to trample on them. Nothing will harm you, he says. Now, that doesn't mean that Satan can't afflict us, okay? Because Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh, and it was a messenger of Satan, and he asked God to remove it three times, and God never did, all right? Nothing will harm you means that nothing Satan can do can stop the forward progress of what God is wanting to do in your life. All right? That's exactly what that means. Nothing can harm that. Nothing can stop that. 
right? God turned this messenger of Satan in Paul's own life into good. We learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because here's the deal. God will take what Satan intends for evil and turn it into something good. He just does that. It's who he is, what he does, right? Don't miss this. You have been given the authority. You have the authority to overrule all that Satan intends for bad. You have the authority to overrule all of that that he intends for evil and declare that God will use it for good in your life. You have the authority to do that. Some of you just haven't yet, but you have the authority to. So how do we exercise that authority? What does it look like? I mean, do I have to go home and stomp a snake today? No, I will never, right? Uh, so how do we exercise this authority? And, 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 but, but first, before we get there, I just want to speak to a couple of practical, more practical questions that I get from time to time. Uh, I've often been approached with questions about demons and, and stuff, and there's just a couple of things I want to talk about. First is this. People will come to me and say, you know, I've got this situation that I'm going through or this sickness, and I don't know if this has something to do with something spiritual. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if this is a physical. You know, I, I, I don't know if this is supernatural or natural. You know, what, you know, what should I do? And when it comes especially to an illness or a sickness, you know, I, we know so much now. The, the science of, of medicine is growing at an incredible rate. God has blessed us so much over the past several years with talented doctors and, and those in the medical field and scientists and, and all these people. And often when I'm praying with someone about a medical situation or in the hospital, I thank God for the people that he's put here uh, to, he, you know, he works through every single day. And, and so God gave us this knowledge and, and gave people these talents and he expects us to use it. All right. And yes, we know that there can be spiritual things at work behind uh, sickness. I gave you some references to that earlier uh, in Scripture. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that there were some that were sick and even died because of their disrespect for God and the Lord's table and communion. Okay, so we know that. And part of the problem here is what we like to do is we like to have nice little uh, uh, neat lines. So we say, you know, all right, so, so this is supernatural and this is natural. And we like to have that all defined and laid out to where, to where we can see it clearly. But here's the deal. The supernatural can work in and through the natural. Okay, it can. And, and let me give you an example. God can bring healing through modern medicine and doctors. All right, the supernatural working through the natural. See what I'm talking about? He does it every single day. And so if you're dealing with a situation uh, or an illness and you suspect that there may be uh, some supernatural purpose uh, behind it, my advice with you, number one, would be to consult the natural and then the supernatural, right? Uh, but exhaust every natural remedy available, but also be aware of the spiritual reasons that may be behind this as well. Look for the good, remember? Look for the good. The Apostle Paul traveled with a physician, Luke, right? He also wrote the book of Acts. We're going to be starting a new series next week out of the book of Acts. It's going to be uh, tremendous. But uh, Paul traveled with a doctor, and we often see them giving medical advice uh, here in Scripture. So we don't exclude one from the other is the point that I'm trying to make. All right? So when someone is sick, call the doctor. Always. All right? Uh, but if you begin to suspect that something really different is at, at work there, James 5 says to call the elders of the church to pray. All right? And, and so here's another question that I've been asked, and I actually had a, a recent conversation with someone about uh, some things like this. But uh, I've been asked before, can a Christian be demon-possessed? 
Can a Chris, Christian, <laughs> and I met some that, I, uh, yeah, uh, but no. Uh, so there you go. My answer is yeah and no. Should be a politician. Interestingly, though, the Bible never uses that term, demon-possessed. It's actually a bad English translation uh, from the original Greek, and I'm not a scholar of Greek or Hebrew. I barely have English, uh, but uh, uh, there are a lot of people that, that do know that, that a lot better than me, and actually, the original translation from the Greek word would be better to say demonized instead of uh, demon-possessed. Uh, and let me put it like this so we're crystal clear as to what I'm trying to say. A demon cannot possess something that Jesus already possesses. There you go. A demon cannot possess something that Jesus has already taken possession of. Can a Christian be afflicted by a demon? Yes, that's spiritual. I mean, that's, that's scriptural. But any part of you, listen... Any part of you that is not possessed by Jesus, and right now you're wanting to think in a physical realm because our back hurts or our foot hurts, All right, but, but think about it at, on a bigger scope of that, of your life. Anything that is not possessed by Jesus, all right, and surrendered to Jesus and placed under his authority and placed under the protection of, of his blood can be demonized, all right? It can but if you're a Christian, let me just tell you this. Your soul cannot be taken over by Satan because Jesus owns you. Jesus possesses your soul. And so it can't be taken over if Jesus owns it. But parts of you that have not yet been brought under the lordship of Jesus can be demonized. But you cannot become demon-possessed. Uh, Which brings us kind of to the final question. How should we engage against the demonic? Okay, so it's out there. All right, let's talk. We're talking about it in church, and it makes some people uncomfortable. But it's out there. So how do we engage that? What do we do with that? Right? Well, this passage doesn't give us a lot of detailed instruction, but notice again what Jesus says here in verse 20. He says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. All right? Don't get hung up on that. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right? Jesus consistently directs people away from this preoccupation of demonic things. He says, don't think about it. Don't, don't, don't focus on that. In fact, he never tells us in Scripture as, as his followers, he never tells us to go out demon hunting, right? He, he never tells us to approach the world like an exorcist. Uh, but instead, we have Scriptures like in Ephesians 6, you know, of what spiritual warfare is like and what it looks like. And can I just tell you, oh, by the way, it's not weird. <laughs> All right. He tells us what our spiritual warfare and our battle looks like in, in Ephesians 6. And we see the weapons that we have there. We have the helmet of salvation to shield our thinking. We have the shield of faith. Believing in God's promises, protecting us. The belt of truth means believing in, in God's word. Our feet are covered with readiness to go and, and, and preach the word of God. Listen, the summary of the armor of God there in Ephesians 6 is this. Be covered with Jesus. Be covered with the word. 
Be covered with the gospel. Be saturated in the gospel and in the word from head to toe is basically the point here. We went to a, a, a celebration over at uh, the other side. It's a place over at Welburn, kind of like Renewal Ranch that uh, uh, helps people through uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And, and they do it through, a, it's a spiritual uh, faith-based program. Uh, tremendous things that are going on uh, around our state in these areas. But they shared uh, yesterday how many hours uh, that they had spent in Bible study, the, the individuals all together. I think the other graduates that were graduating, uh, they, uh, there were five graduates and they had 3,000 hours of Bible study in the last six months. See, because they understand that greater is the word of God than, than the demon that, that is at work trying to attack their lives in their weak areas, right? And so that's what the, 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 uh, the armor of God is all about. It's saying, listen, if you're totally protected, if you're totally covered, if you're totally filled with the presence of Jesus, Satan cannot harm you, right? But the problem is, is we neglect that. Why do we neglect it? Because, oh, there's Satan over here that we don't recognize that's given us all these other options and all these other things to do. And, and so, you know, when we're completely covered with the gospel, Jesus has total possession, right? In fact, Paul gives the Ephesians uh, there, he gives them three model prayers to pray about this very thing, and none of them have anything to do with binding or casting out demons, okay? Listen, the point is this, get grounded in Jesus, be filled with Jesus, be covered by Jesus, and Satan will leave you alone. He won't be able to touch you, because greater is the power in you than the one that is in the world, all right, and so we're to focus on Jesus. Don't focus on the demons. Don't focus on Satan, right? Now, he's saying focus on Jesus because Satan cannot possess anything that Jesus already possesses. And, and, and don't miss this. When Jesus died on the cross, I, I don't think we get this, all right? When Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed any power that Satan has over you. Okay, he did that. That power has been destroyed and, and, and won. And, and I hear Christians say sometimes things like this. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just fighting for, for victory over Satan. Baloney. You're not fighting for victory over Satan. He's already been defeated. Right? The victory has already been won. We stand in that victory. And we claim that victory. And that's where uh, our help and our hope comes from, right? You don't need victory over Satan. Jesus has already won the victory over Satan. You just need to trust Jesus and allow him to cover you from head to toe and fill you. The answer for overcoming the demonic is not to obsess about demons. The answer is to get completely filled by Jesus and be under his total lordship. That's good preaching. <clears throat> but let me ask you this. So is Satan filling your mind with discouraging thoughts? I know he does, because he does mine all the time. Right? Telling you that you're a failure. Telling you that God can never use you. Telling you that there's nothing but failure in your past, and there will never be anything but failure in your future. And if those are the voices that you're hearing in your head, you need to know exactly who it is that's speaking them. And it is not your father. It's your enemy. Right? And so if those are the voices that you hear, 
You need to counter that with the voice of Jesus Christ because his voice is louder and more powerful than any voice that Satan may whisper in your ear. The truth is this, and you need to remind yourself of this. When you begin to hear those voices and those accusations and those discouraging thoughts come to your mind, you need to remind yourself of this. Jesus bought you. He paid for you. You were ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has made you a promise that you have a hope and you have a future. And your past will not define your future unless you allow it to, right? He says, I have a hope and a future for you because you're my child. I bought you and I paid for you so that you would have this. Listen, Satan loves to whisper in your head. I know he does mine. But remember, he's called the accuser of the brethren, it's who he's called, it's who he is. He's the accuser of the saints, the accuser of the brethren. So drown out his voice with the louder voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, do you suspect that Satan uh, is afflicting you? Then stand on this verse and declare that these things cannot harm you. Claim it. You have the authority. These things cannot harm you, that you will walk right over those scorpions. <laughs> you will walk right over those snakes, and God will overturn Satan's plan for evil into something that's going to be good. Do you think Satan's messing with your marriage? You think Satan's messing with your family? Or can I just be blunt? Get something more powerful than Satan in your marriage. Get something more powerful than Satan uh, in your family. Because listen, what belongs to Jesus, Satan cannot touch. <laughs> but whatever has not been brought under the blood and the authority of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, is fair game for him. Anything that you've not given to Jesus is fair game for Satan. You know, but, and some of you here today, you've never brought Jesus into some area of your lives that Satan has full reign to control and work through to destroy you. Some of you have never allowed Jesus into your dating relationships because, oh, by the way, I think I can make better decisions for myself than God can. It all comes back to Satan's plan. I will, my will is better than God's will. So some of you have never subjected your dating relationships to Jesus because actually Satan is controlling it. You may not recognize it for that. You may bristle at the fact that I just said that. But if the Lord is not in control of it and has lordship over it, then who is in control of it? Some of you have never allowed Jesus to control your family. They're open game. They're open game for the hunter. Some of you have never allowed Jesus to control your finances. And you know what? Satan is laughing because he knows that he can use that one thing right there that you won't let God have control of, and he can take that, and he can destroy the rest of your life just through that one area. And you know what? Some, uh, some people have either taken the devil too seriously, like we talked about earlier, or you're not taking him serious enough. Satan doesn't care if you recognize that it's him at work. He doesn't care if you recognize what he's doing. He only cares that he destroys you. 
He don't care what it looks like or how it happens. So today, my question is this. What is it in your life that you have not allowed, allowed God to control? What is it in your life that you have not allowed God to control? And I'm talking about it in a much, much bigger picture than just your soul. What are those things out there that you think you can handle on your own without his help? Because whatever those things are, whether it be the computer, the phone, the bank account, the credit card, what, whatever it may be, whatever is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ is open game for the Satan, and he'll nail you right there to destroy you. That's his plan. That's his purpose in, in this world. So what is it in your life? Listen, I know this is an imagined message that we like to hear. That's why I've been preaching for 21 years and never preached from this passage of Scripture. But let me tell you something. Jesus said it, he taught it, and it's extremely important. Extremely important. That's why it's mentioned over 250 times throughout the New Testament. We must be alert and be aware that there are demons that work in this world, but they cannot possess what is possessed by Jesus Christ. So whatever it is in your life, I don't know what it is today, but whatever it is in your life today, Jesus is saying, if you'll let me own that, you won't have to worry about Satan attacking that area anymore. So I don't know what that is for you, but I know what that is for me. And so I'm just going to join you in prayer and you pray for me because uh, we need the Lord to be in full control and be surrendered to him. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you so much for loving us enough to care about us enough to give us the warnings that we need to hear. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes you, you speak to us in ways that are challenging to us and things that even that, that we don't like to talk about or think about. But God is so important. We, we see how important it is because if we neglect to think about it, if we neglect to be alert uh, and of sober mind about these things, then all we're doing is opening the door for Satan to have a place to get a foothold. And, and so today, I don't, I don't know what it is. I know you've talked to a lot of people in different ways that are here today, and only you and them know what that is. Now, the point is, is that we don't just hear it, but that we surrender it, and we allow you to be in control of it and in charge of it. And so I thank you for what you're doing here today. I thank you for loving us enough to give us this word and to give us this hope for a future. Now, I know there's some people that are here today that that need that in their life. And I pray today that they will claim this authority and they will take this authority and they will overrule all that Satan is intending for evil and bad in their life and their family. And they will claim it for good through what you're going to do, through it, in it and through it, God. And so we're going to praise you. We're going to give you the glory. And we're going to uh, continually be thankful that you love us enough to do that for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Don't forget, feed the need uh, down at the neighborhood market till 2 o'clock.